You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Finally, my body hits the runner's high around three miles, and I just feel like I could soar, that I could run all day. So from three miles to about eight miles, I just feel like I could just run with a smile on my face, high-five everyone around me, that I'm doing amazing, that my partner is doing amazing. And then we get to mile nine, and I think, I have three more miles to go. I don't think I'm going to make it. But when I finally get to that 12-mile mark in the race, I know I only have one more mile to go. One more mile, and it'll be over. I ran one race that I just, I just wanted to sprint because my family was waiting for me at the finish line. I just got to get there. I know they're going to be waiting for me. And so I kick it into high gear and I sprint as hard as I can. We finally finish the race. And I do. I throw my hands up in the air and I'm so excited to be able to say that I did it. And then to think that I didn't do it by myself. But it's the strength of the Lord that got me through it. So we continue on here this morning in our third week of our Run the Race series. And the first week we focused on our impact with global missions and celebrated some of that. Last week we spent some time looking at what God's doing right here in the community here in Gresham through this church. And this week we're looking forward now to where God seems to be leading us as a church family. And really this is intended to be a two-part series with last week. So I need to reset some things for those of you who maybe weren't here last week. I don't know what kind of a frame of reference you have for running and for running the race and for running a relay race, but I have a small frame of reference because my relay race career was very short. In middle school, I thought I would try out for the track team, and I did, and I could run reasonably okay, but I somehow couldn't master the baton handoff. I just couldn't quite get that. So I graduated to pole vault, and that worked out really well until I realized I was afraid of heights. So that was the end of my, of my track career. But we've been looking at really what we're called to in this race as individuals, but especially as, as a church. Because we cannot afford to proverbially drop the baton with the race that we have been called to run. And it is a race really that we find uh, substance for and really explanation of in Matthew 28. And we were in this passage last week. This will be a continuation of the study of that passage. These are Jesus' last recorded words before he ascended to heaven. And this is what he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, for those of you who are familiar with this passage or who were here last week, what is the focal point of that passage? What is the purpose of the church? Make disciples. Everything in that passage revolves around making disciples. And we looked at the reality that because 
we are followers of Jesus, we have a mission. We have a focus for our life. And this is what we're called to as a, a, as a community, is this mission of making disciples. That is what the church is all about. But it also is a change in mission for those of us um, prior to what we were experiencing before Jesus. Because prior to following Jesus, the mission that gets talked about so often in our culture is get as much stuff as you can. Make as much money as you can. Have the most fulfilling career that you can. Save for retirement so that you can really live life when you get to that stage of your life and do what you've always wanted to do. Those things have their place, but they're not our mission. They're not our focus. Our focus is to make disciples, and we do that in community because when you receive Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, you entered into God's family, and everyone around you is now family. That This is a new family that you become a part of. And you therefore are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The reason Jesus can say, surely I'm with you always, is because he is. His Holy Spirit lives inside you. God lives inside of you when you receive Jesus into your life through his Holy Spirit. And so with those realities in mind, now we shift to really looking more towards the future. And how is it that God is calling us to, to hand off the baton, to, to make disciples? in the language of this passage. What does that look like for our future? Well, some of this, probably all of it, is going to be self-evident to you. Because one of those pieces of making disciples is to make a disciple, you need to tell someone about Jesus, right? You, you need to introduce them to him, to him. I mean, think about your own journey. For those of you who know the Lord, how did you hear about him? Who told you about Jesus? For some of you, like me, it was in a corporate setting like this. Maybe it was in church. For me, it was at a, a Young Life camp with 200 other high school students. For some of you, it was an individual. It was a parent or a friend or a coworker or what have you. But someone told you about Jesus. And yes, we do do that corporately here at Grace. Hopefully, every Sunday, you hear the gospel. That is one of the, one of the um, filters that we use, one of the evaluation tools we use as a preaching team every Sunday as we circle back and make sure that the gospel was clearly proclaimed, that, that we talked about Jesus and what it means to know him and to enter into relationship with him. So we do that corporately, but we also do that individually. It's something we're called to do as individuals. And with that in mind, do you realize, do you recognize the reality that you are probably the only Jesus follower that someone knows? If you were to take your phone out right now and look through your contact list and begin thinking through the names and the relationships you have there, I'd almost guarantee you that you are one of the few or maybe one of the only Jesus followers that someone knows. Back in my student ministry days, we would constantly remind our middle school and high school students, you were only in middle school one time in your life. You were only in high school one time in your life. And yes, as an adult, I could show up on your campus to tell people about Jesus, and they would promptly, especially if it was a public school, mark, you know, march me right off the campus. But, but no one can speak into another middle school student's life. No one can speak into another high school student's life the way you can. As a middle school or high school student, you have one shot to take advantage of this opportunity God has given you. Are, are you going to take it? 
things begin to look a little differently when you think about them in those terms, right? When it comes to telling people about Jesus. So let's just go there. When is the last time you told someone about Jesus? Were you ready when that opportunity came? Are you even looking for that opportunity? Praying for it, asking for it, being open to it? This is not a got to do, by the way. This is a, this is a get to do. This isn't about guilting you into something, but let's back up for a minute. Do you have a story to tell? What does Jesus mean to you? Does he give you hope? Has he changed your life? Does he meaningfully impact your life? Hopefully the answer is yes if you know him because you do have a compelling story to tell. And there are many places that Scripture very practically talks about this. One of those places I'd like to jump to is uh, is 1 Peter 3. We spent most of our time last week in Matthew 28. Consider this kind of the application of Matthew 28. But let's jump to 1 Peter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. It tells us how to, to, to be ready and it tells us how to, how to tell our story when we get the chance. So are you ready? You ever had the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus and passed on it? Or if you've really been in a direct conversation, not quite sure what to say? If you live long enough, if you follow Jesus long enough, you're probably going to be in that spot at some point. Gosh, this happens to me all the time. Uh, You start talking with someone casually, they find out I'm a lead pastor, and they say, wow, what's a pastor do? How would you answer that? What does a lead pastor do? well, I work one day a week, Sundays, and that's about it. What do you say, right? But this is really fundamental, and it's intrinsic in what we're reading here in this passage out of Peter. There is a significant difference between trying to do something and training to do something. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I had a friend invite me to be a part of a race, and he said, how would you like to be a part of a race from Seattle to Portland? And I thought, okay. He said, yeah, we do it on bikes. I thought, oh, great. What kind of motor does it have? How big is the motor? No, 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 no. Not Harleys, not motorcycles, bicycles. You mean the kind with gears? Yeah, boy, I'm going to need a lot of gears. Okay. Um, And how much time do we have to do this? A day. Okay, wait a minute. When I drive to Seattle... In one day, I feel pretty good about myself. I've accomplished something. When I drive back from Portland to Seattle in one day, that's a pretty good accomplishment. We're going to get on bicycles and we're going to ride from Seattle to Portland in one day. Yep. Okay. So I rode my bike for two weeks, got three hours of sleep, and then tried to do the Seattle to Portland bike ride. I made it 150 miles of the 200. Couldn't walk for three days paid the dumb tax on that decision for many days, weeks, because I tried to do it. The next year, I prepared, and I trained for months, and brought lots of Advil, (laughs) and rode from Seattle to Portland in 14 hours, 
and did all 200 miles in one day, but only because of a lot of Advil and because I trained. There is a huge difference between trying to do something and training to do something. Are you prepared to tell at any given moment what God has done in your life? There are a number of you who are, but as we look to the future and where this church is headed, for a church our size, we should have many more new Jesus followers running around here because we're all being intentional to ask for, pray for, look for, and take advantage of opportunities to tell our, our story. Because you have a story to tell and we want to equip you to do it. Do you realize that every short-term missions team we send out here is trained to share Jesus? They spend some time thoughtfully, intentionally thinking through, what is my story? And if I get the opportunity to tell my story, can, can I do it? Will I do it? And they're trained. And I'm, I'm not talking about a program or a technique. I'm just talking about intentionality with looking for and then taking advantage of the opportunities Jesus gives us to tell our story. Someone did that with you. And that's one of the ways that we hand this baton off to others. Is we, we have a great story to tell, and we look for ways and opportunities to tell it. This next summer, Pastor Bob and I, our, our missions, and um, I mean, he wears a lot of hats, small groups, all sorts of stuff, discipleship pastor. He and I are going to go away for a day. We're going to lock ourselves in a room, and we're not going to come out until we have a corporate plan by which we can more intentionally equip you to tell your story, just like we do with our global short-term teams because you have a great story to tell. And from talking to a number of you, when we've really been candid and open with one, one another, a number of you just aren't confident to tell it or aren't sure how to, aren't sure how to do that. And we're going to lean into that because it's a story that needs to be told. Because once we introduce people to Jesus, then we need to help them know him, right? And understand him and, and experience him. Really, it, they need to be mentored, that they need to grow. And one of the ways we do this is through the discipleship training that Pastor Bob offers. Our next one's coming in October, but there's over 250 of you who have gone through this training to be able to take someone who, who has just met Jesus, who's just received Jesus into their life, and then they help them grow, how to pray, how to read their Bible, how to recognize the Holy Spirit, all those things that are part of knowing him and experiencing him. That is a, that is a really good thing. That is really, really encouraging to me. But of those 250 people, not very many are mentoring or discipling, rather, others. It's not because they don't want to. It's because th- there are those who aren't availing themselves for that. Let me ask you another direct question. Who is pouring into your life? Who are you investing into? Now, in fairness, there are going to be seasons and stages of your life where you don't have time or you have other priorities and focuses. I totally get that. But as you think about the course of your life, who has invested into you and who are you investing into? If you're a parent, it starts with your kids. Your primary responsibility as a parent is to disciple your kids. But beyond your family, who, who are you investing into? I am a product 
of a number of men who have invested into my life. I am, this is a die-for value for me. I am passionate about this because I've lived this in my life. I would not be who I am without the godly men around me. And, and there have been few seasons in my life where I have not had someone pouring into me and where I have not been pouring into others. Right now I'm mentoring two younger men who are looking to, to go be lead pastors. And I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to, to, to be able to do that with them. And it's not that I have it all figured out, but I am ahead of them and have something to offer them, which brings us to the next point. And again, just being totally honest here, in my younger years, in the staff team that I was a part of at my last church, I was one of the youngest people on that staff. Everyone was one stage, two or three life stages ahead of me. And it was so interesting to me what they inevitably would talk about. And I remember thinking, "Ah, that's not going to be me. But there are generalities that we're speaking in now, but generally speaking, there are challenges and joys and opportunities and struggles in every life stage. And pretty much everyone at some point goes through them. When you're a 20-something, you're just trying to figure life out, right? I mean, maybe you're going to school, maybe you're going to learning a trade, maybe you're just trying to get motivated to do one of the above or to go to work or whatever to figure out your life. Maybe there are some of you as 20-somethings who, if you're going to get married, have gotten married by then. I was married at age 22. But you're, you're figuring life out. And in your 30s, if, if you do happen to get married or have been married, then you probably begin to have kids. And there's predictable struggles and joys that, that come with that. And may, that retirement thing is so far out there, probably not many people are thinking about that, although we should for the financial planners in the room who are nodding their heads, right? And then the 40-somethings, you know, you get into your 40s, and, you know, for me, things stopped working right at that number 40. My shoulders started to hurt a little bit, and you get a little tired a little bit quicker. I mean, still, still young and healthy, but not like a 20-something. And, and maybe if you have kids, they're beginning to enter the young adult years. We're just on the cusp of the empty nest. Um, it, 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 but... You know, maybe you have health struggles or just whatever, just predictable things. And you're thinking hopefully a lot more about retirement. Get in your 50s and 60s and maybe you're beginning to care for aging parents. And, you know, you're beginning to work with adult kids with their adult-sized problems. And now they're adults and you parent very differently than when they were under your roof if you have kids. And maybe grandkids are coming along, 60s and 70s, maybe great-grandkids. You're caring for aging parents. Maybe you're dealing with the reality that now you are the patriarch or matriarch of the family. Those are all common life experiences that happen in those stages of life. And here's the reality. Someone, actually many people, have gone before you. They know exactly what you're dealing with. And they would love to walk with you through that. And they would love to help you. But we don't ask. I believe the most underutilized resource we have in this church family is you and mentoring relationships. There are so many godly men and saints, excuse me, men and women, saints in this church family. So I will ask you again, are you mentoring someone? Are you investing into someone's life? And are you being invested into Because on the front of not being invested into, it's kind of, quite frankly, arrogant to think that you don't need someone else in your life shaping you, challenging you, investing into you. Yeah, I can do life on my own. You know what? That is not a New Testament or biblical 
idea at all. We're called to community. We should be investing into others and, and being invested into. And this isn't just about giving to others, as important as that is. This is also about what you get out of it. Mentorship, discipleship, serving is, is huge. I want to share this letter with you from someone who has served in our children's ministry. They're going to be moving um, to be near family. They've been a part of our church family for a number of years now, and they wrote this letter. I shared it with the elders, shared it with the staff, because it was so encouraging. But this is what it says. As I'm nearing the end of my time volunteering at Grace in the children's ministries, I would like to share some thoughts on what it's been like for me. It has been a lot of years since I worked with young children prior to coming to Grace. So before I started there, I started volunteering at Grace with the parking team. The only requirement was to smile and point. I can do that. But then my wife became a helper at Sunday school, and we both went through the process to work with children. I told Terry McCurley, our children's ministry leader, that I would fill in if there was ever a need. Guess what? There was a need every week. Before long, I recognized that ongoing need, and so we decided to become consistent helpers with Sunday school and the journey. That was two years ago. We've had an amazing adventure. This is a pretty diverse group of kids. Most are extremely well-behaved and have a basic knowledge of God's Word. Some have special needs and require various levels of attention. Some are coming completely broken. There are opportunities every week to lean into a children's life, and I have to admit, I've fallen for these kids. I have a bunch of new friends that happen to be between the first and third grade. You see, I've gained more than I've given. These children have been willing to share their time and their love and their trust with me. I've been there when concepts of faith and trust in God have taken place. And I cannot put a price tag on the joy in my heart when they come up to me and smile and say hi because I know they really enjoyed our time. I know statistically that most people come to faith in Christ when they are a child, and that is true. During our time, I was able to pray with one child who asked Jesus to be her Lord and Savior. And grace has made it so easy to work in the children's ministry. The training is excellent. There are opportunities for all kinds of skill sets. Terry and Rhonda provide all the materials and training needed to help us prepare for our time with children. So for me, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Mine was a life that has been changed. And that is what we are about as Jesus followers, is life change and changing lives for him. And one of those fundamental ways we have to hand off the baton is to develop leaders. For those of you who were here last Sunday, for those of you who weren't, you missed out. Because one of the things we got to do was to celebrate and pray blessing over one of our own who has grown up here and who is now going out into the community to be a pastor at another church. Patrick Vestal was a middle school student when my family and I came to Grace. And we got to grow up with him and his family and to see him become the man of God that he's become. And as a church family here on this very stage, last Sunday we prayed God's blessing over him because he's now been hired to be a pastor at Sandy Baptist. And that is the culmination of years of a number of you investing into Patrick's life. May his tribe increase. I want more. We have to hand the baton off to the next generation. How are we doing with that? Well, there's a number of ways we can quantify that. But let's do it this way. With the understanding, we have four services here at Grace. It's not raining outside, so there's a number of people who aren't here, right? 
But that being said, if you were age 30 or younger, would you raise your hand? And I'm not going to make you do anything goofy, but, but please raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Would you look around? Okay. How are we doing? Pretty good? But we need to do better. Because if this church continues to grow, if this church continues to be healthy, which we're praying and working for both, then more and more people are going to come. The ministries here are necessarily going to need to expand. And the day is going to come when we're going to be out of room, and then what are we going to do? Regardless of what we do, it's going to take leaders who are ready and willing to serve in those areas. And one of the things that you'll see in this new budget that, that we're shooting towards here that will begin in September is we're going to be creating a formal intern program here. We've had intern roles, but we're going to systematize it and we're going to get real serious about it. And we're going to be equipping people for leadership within the walls of the church, but we're also going to be equipping people for leadership outside the walls of the church like the Patrick Vestals, who we hope to send into the community in various ways. But that's not just going to happen. It's going to take resources for that to happen and intentionality. One of the things in the budget this next year is to provide an intern for Bob Maddox so that he has more time to actually develop this mission, this intern program for us because we are serious about passing the baton on to the next generation. And, and folks, I, I wish we had time to tell you and to celebrate together all the ways God is moving and working in this church family. There just, there just isn't time. But one thing I can tell you is that God continues to position us to have an even broader impact on this community. Many years before Jamie and I came to Grace, we went through a season in particular where we just felt like God was preparing us for something. And Jamie was the first one to identify it and give words to it. But she said, years before we came to Grace, I feel like God's preparing us for something. I'm not sure what it is. And what I realized was that um, in hindsight, was that God was teaching me how to lead my family because if I didn't know how to lead and serve my family, I had no business coming and trying to help lead and serve a church. And in hindsight, we could see the developmental things that God was doing to prepare us to to come to a new community and to have a different kind of impact. The same is true for this church family. You may not know this, but by way of example, last year for our Vacation Bible School, which you heard us talk about earlier in this service, was the first year that we've partnered with another church. Gresham Bible, who's also in our neighborhood, has joined forces with us for Vacation Bible School. And that partnership's gonna go even deeper this year. And we're looking to a future where we're hopefully gonna be able to partner with many more churches. Can you imagine a Vacation Bible School that ran day and evening? Do you know how many more kids we could reach for the gospel if we could have a two-part daily VBS? Hundreds more Where are those resources going to come from? From partnerships with other churches who are owning the same mission and vision. I think that's pretty compelling. That's not happening next year, by the way, so don't tell our staff. They don't know that yet. But that's one of the things that seems to be forming. Let me tell you this. One of the the ways that we're blessed as a healthy church family is we have a really healthy leadership team here. And it's not that we have everything figured out. We make our mistakes and, and we have our struggles, but... We do have a very healthy model here. And Western Seminary has just developed a video series on what they're calling 
to be elder basics. And how do you form an elder team? How does it work? How does it interact with the body? How does it interact with the staff? How does it maintain health and unity? How, how does it work in the practical nuts and bolts? As an example of a church that has a healthy leadership, we were asked to be a part of that video series. We just finished shooting it these last couple weeks. That's going to be circulated to any church that wants access to it. That's literally going to go all over the country and help equip churches to have healthy leadership structures. The impact of this church continues to grow. We are the only church at this point in East County that has the type of relationship with our um, for service and our Hispanic brethren versus other churches, and I'm not disparaging them because this is where we were for a long season as well too, but developmentally, churches that have ethnic ministries, the ethnic ministry is a part of the church in terms of using the facility, but they're not a church together. We are working diligently to be a church together. That's why we call Comunidad de Gracia our fourth service. We have four services here. One happens to be in Spanish, but we're still a people of God. Folks, in the last six months, Comunidad has grown by 30%. There are 150 people now who make up the core of that church, and it continues to grow. And one of the things that's captured in this new budget is Gabe Myers, our Hispanic pastor, has been serving this community on three quarters time in a church that size. We're raising him to full time in this new budget because this is where the church continues to grow. Yeah, that's awesome. But really, the, the, the common denominator that runs through all the options that are ahead of us as a church Once we run out of room, church plant, satellite campus, birthing a church here and then spinning it out into the community, expanding some of our facility here, or a fifth option that maybe we haven't thought of. The common denominator that runs through all those options is resources. Resources in leadership, resources in time, Resources in in people, resources in finances. And last fall, with all this in mind, we kicked off a focus called Grace Unleashed. And for a number of you, this is familiar, and you saw some of this video. This is a different version than what you saw last fall. For some of you, this is brand new. But this really tells the story corporately of what God's been doing here and where we're hoping to go in the coming years. So I'd like to show this to you, and then then we'll talk a little more about it. Grace Community Church is a movement of Jesus followers, committed to proclaiming the truth of the gospel, making disciples, and changing lives. In 1988, Gresham Hills Church and Gresham Community Baptist Church felt God calling them to take a step of faith, to become one church with a vision to reach East County. Grace Community Church was born out of the obedience of these Jesus followers to impact their world. We felt there was really a place for a a larger, mid-sized church that could relate to the sense of community that sometimes really large churches have more difficulty with. God has blessed us with a number of resources to fulfill the calling He placed on our hearts for our community. One of those resources is our facility, which serves the needs of our growing church family and our neighborhood. But for many years, we didn't have a home, a space to bring people together on a weekly basis. 
Jay and Jamie Messenger joined the community at Grace, knowing that God was doing big things in East County. When my wife Jamie and I first came to Grace, one of the many things that struck us was how authentic uh, the folks who call Grace home really were. It was clear that this was a church that valued discipleship, that valued truly reaching out and, and reaching in uh, to people's lives and to proclaiming the gospel and loving people well, serving people well, and, and living out really the mission that God had given them. Now. Ten years later, Grace Community has grown from a church of 300 worshipers to a church of over a thousand worshipers, with four worship services, three in English and one in Spanish. We are living out the mission of the church, making a difference in our neighborhood, impacting lives. You know, really the heart behind Outreach at Grace is that God has reached into our lives. God has um, redeemed us. God has given us a new life and purpose, and we want to share that with our community. God has really given me a desire to serve people by meeting their basic needs of clean water and food, and um, He's really made me passionate about this program, the Backpack Blessings program, because we're able to feed kids at East Gresham Grade School who don't get enough to eat on the weekends. As a hallmark of Grace Community, we are a church that has continually sought to build bridges and develop partnerships. I am just in awe of the service they continually uh, give to us. It's just a, such a great example to me of, of giving, of caring, of kindness. We're feeding the hungry, serving our neighbors, supporting families and marriages, advocating for children at risk, proclaiming the gospel, developing leaders, sending Jesus followers to serve around the world. You know, it's interesting. When I look at the history of grace, I just see this progression of um, godly men and women, humble godly men and women, who are saying, look, the need is great. Let's do this together. Let's be a team. In the last four years that I've had the privilege of being here, Grace Community Church has grown significantly in ministry and ministry impact, but also in numbers of people. I'm really excited about the future and where things are going to go. So what is the next step of faith God is calling us to make? What opportunities are in store for us as we continue to be faithful to the mission and vision God has called us to? The opportunity to be able to reduce or completely retire our mortgage would free up an enormous amount of financial resources for us to continue to invest into the lives of other people. We are launching Grace Unleashed with the goal of paying down our mortgage in 2018. We're asking you to dream with us, to invest in the kingdom. If accomplished, Grace Unleashed will free up $12,000 each month to invest in our neighborhood, outreach, and discipleship. What more could we do in the community with outreach? How could we make even more disciples for Jesus? How could we develop and train future church leaders for our communities and ministries beyond our own? What if we could launch a second campus or plant another healthy, unified church? We want to be ready to take a step of faith. Grace Unleashed is how we make ourselves available to God's work. The leadership, and I feel very strongly, it is something that we have to do. We have to position ourselves together to not only grow together, 
step out in faith together, trust God together, but also position ourselves to see God do what only He can do, to give Him the glory and the credit for that, and then to look for the next defining moment for how we can trust Him and use these unleashed resources to continue to make disciples and proclaim the gospel and serve this community in the name of Jesus Christ. So would you join us? Would you join what God is doing at Grace Community Church? What is your next step of faith? So as we've talked about this, what, what's really behind this is the reality that healthy things grow. And as this church continues to enjoy this sustained season of health and unity, as we introduce people to Jesus, as we mentor, as we disciple, the church is going to grow. And we are going to hit a capacity at some point where this facility is not going to be able to hold all of us. And so the common denominator that runs through all the options we've already talked about, as I said previously, is it's going to take resources to do whatever we're going to do. And we want to be proactive about this. So this isn't about getting out of debt. That, that really is secondary. And by the way, this is the only debt we have is the mortgage on, on this facility. This isn't about getting out of debt. This is about unleashing those resources to reinvest them into people's lives. And how we got to this place is we built this facility. And then about eight, 10 years ago, we, uh, we added the second floor. So in 2008, um, we raised about 800, almost $900,000 towards the second floor. And then we financed the rest of that, rolled it into what was then left on the original mortgage. So in 2008, our mortgage was $1.7 million. In September of last year, it was about one4 and in September, on September 15th of 2018, it'll be about $1.3 million. And because of the type of debt instrument we have, we aren't allowed to make payments on the principal until it comes up for renewal next year. But once it does, then we're going to drop some money on that. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute because there's good news there. But what's, let's just dream for a minute. What would happen if we eliminated our mortgage by next fall? We'd save over $600,000 in interest. We pay $12,000 a month for our mortgage. That's about $144,000 a year that we could redirect and repurpose. We would model and practice biblical values, and of course it would position us to invest for the future. What if we don't eliminate it, but we reduce it? We still save money in interest. We still get to redirect that money. We still model and practice biblical values. We invest for the future. This is a can't miss. We're going to win on this one regardless of what happens, but let's continue to dream a little bit. What could we do with $144,000 more per year? Would that help your budget? (laughs) That would be amazing for us as a family, would it not? That would allow us to pretty quickly begin to save the resources for a church plant, for a satellite campus, the additional staffing and leadership that we'll eventually need, facility improvements, allow us to give generously to needs in our community, and and yes, to, to leave a significant legacy. But what does this look like? Well, last fall, at that point, we were at the two-year point, and we asked you to make a, a pledge commitment in the next two years, and that by agreeing to do this, this would be above what you give to the mission and vision, and above what you give to special projects like Advent Conspiracy vacation Bible school, what have you. For most of you, I'm guessing, you don't have the money to do this because a number of you already give generously and sacrificially to the mission and vision, 
to the other things that we do around here. And we profiled and celebrated a lot of that last Sunday. If you missed that Sunday, go back and listen to that and you'll get to hear more of that story. But if you're like my family, we don't have this money. So we're asking for it. We're asking God to provide the resources. And as he provides, we're, we're giving to it. And so a number of you have done that. Just so you know where we're at, and this is our update, we started this whole process with $146,000 as a foundation because a number of you began, continued rather to give after the second floor was built and just dropped that into, into this, this fund that we knew someday was going to come. Every year we've finished above budget, we've sheltered the lion's share of that and have dropped that into this pot. So we have saved. And we started this in the fall with almost $150,000 in the bank. That's pretty awesome. You have pledged $358,730. That's a total now of $504,928. That represents roughly 43% of you who give consistently to the mission and vision here um, are, are participating in Grace Unleashed. I think that's pretty cool. If we just ended there, next fall we will have $6,000 a month, give or take, a little less than that, but almost $6,000 a month to repurpose and redirect to other things besides the mortgage or we'll just roll it into the mortgage and just fast track paying it completely off. But do you get the significance of that? That is pretty cool. That, that's a lot to celebrate. However, with 43% of you doing this, it tells us that there are still a number of you who, who aren't a part of this. We're asking if you would consider being a part of this. We're 14 months away, roughly, from, from 16 months away from paying, paying, having to either pay off this mortgage or apply whatever we're going to have to apply to the principal. There's still plenty of time for you to get involved with this. We have booklets in the back that will explain this in greater detail. But we would ask you, with the values in mind that we've talked about, introducing people to Jesus, making more disciples, maximizing our impact here in the community to consider being a part of this. Because at the end of the day, we are looking to leave a legacy. And there's a story that I was just told about this week that was so compelling to me that I wanted to end our time here with this because this is about leaving a legacy. And I'll share more of this story in greater detail with you down the road. But understand, this is from a family who in the last handful of years have eliminated over $250,000 of debt. And they are now completely debt-free. But that was never the primary goal. Legacy was the goal. Let me explain in their words. Money is a tool. How it is used determines if it's good or not. It provides options. We have several missionary friends that we want to be able to help support more financially, but we also want to be able to serve more with our time. We have family members with health challenges who will need help in the future, and we want to be in a position to provide that help. Listen to this. Our long-term goal is to leave a legacy. We want to live our lives in such a way that the breadth and substance of our lives outlives the length of our lives. I long for us to leave a legacy of life change. We already are. But I'd like to deepen that and broaden that and strengthen that and to continue to trust this amazing God to provide and to lead as we are faithful to him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. 
For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.